The New Testament reading is from Romans 1, 16 to 17, and 10, 13 to 17. You can find it on page 547 in the paperback Bibles. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks. 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 Well, uh, each year as we head into the fall, we preach a series on our vision and values. And uh, this year, our vision values series is called Moving Forward. You get it, right? Because we're moving, right? Isn't that clever? Um, Well, yeah, I know, right? Um, Well, it's really because each year we want to review these these values. We want to remember uh, what God has called us to do. We are still a young church, and so as we look ahead into this next chapter in the life of our young church, we want to pursue the mission that God has called us to, and we want to correct ourselves if we have gotten off of that mission at all. And so this morning, I want us to look at the first of our core values. The first core value is that we are gospel-centered. And this is a really good place for us to start. Um, Because being gospel-centered, of course, is a a value of our church. It's vital for us to be a healthy church. But it is also vital for each and every one of us as individuals. Being gospel-centered is, in fact, the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Being gospel-centered is the essence of what it means for any of us to follow Christ. And so that means this morning there's two simple things I want us to look at. When I say gospel-centered, I mean two things. First, that the gospel is a power that constantly anchors us. The gospel is a power that constantly anchors us. And second, the gospel is a proclamation that we can never abandon. So it's a power And it's a proclamation. Let's talk about that. First of all, when Paul uh, is talking about the power of the gospel, uh, well, let's look at Romans chapter 1. That's our passage this morning. Right at the outset, Paul is writing a letter to the Romans. And the first thing he says to them is that he longs to preach the gospel to them. Why is that? Isn't that an interesting thing to say? Don't they already know the gospel? I imagine they do, right? Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be reading a letter that Paul has written unless they had somehow gotten attached to this community of people who knew what the gospel was. They have probably heard the gospel plenty already. So why is Paul saying that he longs to preach the gospel to them? Well, it's because Paul knew that the gospel 
is not something that we hear once and then move on from, but the gospel is something we have to continually call ourselves back to. The gospel is something that we must constantly remind ourselves of. Uh, the last six weeks, I don't know if you noticed, but I took a break from preaching. And maybe, maybe you didn't notice. I wasn't preaching. Six weeks. Uh, I know some of you think I only work on Sundays, so maybe you're thinking I took a six-week vacation. That's not true. I did work most of that time. Um, but during one of those weeks, Melissa gave me a tremendous gift. Uh, she let me go away uh, by myself for six days. I went to New York City. Uh, I left my cell phone and all my technology here in Boston, and I took my Bible and a book that I wanted to read, and I just spent time by myself and with the Lord. And it was fantastic. But the thing that got me there is because I was a total mess. <laughs> I, I went there by myself for a week because I was anxious, I was depressed, I was overwhelmed, and, and if I'm being honest, I was maybe even a little bit angry at God. And that's kind of uh, an embarrassing thing to admit, right? <laughs> I'm, uh, I hadn't forgotten the facts of the gospel, I hadn't abandoned my faith, but I was really struggling. You know, have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? Maybe some of you are there right now. Well, well, thankfully, during that time, during that week, the Lord was very merciful and, and, and met with me. I, I read through the Psalms, and during that time, he showed me that, that my big problem was not the hard circumstances in my life. It, it, it wasn't those situations that I was looking at that were causing me anxiety, but it was that I had centered my life on something other than him. Like I said, I'm embarrassed to admit it. I get up here every week and I, I pray about this. I preach about this, that we would not put anything other than Christ at the center of our lives. And yet, I was right there. I had done just that. I'd let something else become my center. And that's why Paul here at the outset of this book, is so insistent upon preaching the gospel because he knows that the gospel is the message we always need to hear. It is a message that we are quick to forget. We have to constantly call ourselves back to this core reality of our faith because the truth is, as human beings, even as, as different as we are, as many different histories and backgrounds we might have in this room, as many different life experiences as we have, we all have something in common. We have at least this one thing in common, that we all have a center. We all have some central pursuit in our life. We all have something or someone that gives our life a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. We all have that thing through which we derive our sense of value. And it can be pretty much anything. We can put virtually anything or anyone in that central place in our life. But Paul's message here is, unless the gospel is at your center, 
you will always be off balance. If the gospel is not at your center, you will always be insecure. You will always be filled with anxiety. You will always be full of fear. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I took Ambrose to see that new Spider-Man movie. Um, anybody seen that? Yeah? No? Okay. Well, this is hopefully a spoiler-free illustration, so you can see it when it comes out on video or something. But uh, if, if, if you know anything about those movies, uh, in this particular iteration of Spider-Man, uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man, has given this, him this super, this amazing Spider-Man suit. And it can shoot like all different kinds of webs, and it's got like its own personal assistant, and it's super high tech. It's it's amazing. And Spider-Man in this this movie is a teenager. He's a young guy, and so Tony Stark is kind of like his mentor superhero. And there's this moment in the movie where, uh, because of some circumstances, the threat is made that he's going to take away his suit. And the, the kid version of Spider-Man says, I'm nothing without the suit. Don't take away the suit. I'm nothing without the suit. And Tony Stark, he says, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. And I think that is a really great picture of what our lives are like when we're centered on something other than the gospel. Because we do that with all sorts of things. We might do that with our, our education. We might do that with our success or our reputation in the community. We might do it with our, our physical fitness or with our romantic partner. We might do it with our children. But we end up attaching our lives to these things. And when we have them, we think we're in control. But the truth is, they actually own us. When we don't have the thing we want, we obsess over it. When we do have the thing we want, we spend our life fearing that something might take it away. And so we always end up in this fragile state. We always end up feeling like, I have to have this thing because I am nothing without it. I think an extreme example of that is what we saw this last weekend with these white supremacists down in Virginia. They are the prime example of this fragile sense of identity, right? These, these people have based their identity on the notion that white people are superior to other people. And now that the world has spoken loudly and said that is not true, in fact, that is wicked and that is a lie, and they see the fact that things are changing and they can do nothing about it, they're lashing out. They're lashing out with violence. They're lashing out with uh, the types of things that we saw on the news yesterday. We can take a good thing and put it at the center. We can take a wicked thing and put it at the center. But whatever we put at the center of our lives is insecure and it can be taken away unless it's the gospel. The gospel is totally different than that. The gospel is totally different than those weak and fragile and false identities that we try to build. Paul says this. He says, the gospel, in verse 16, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. See, the scripture explains this whole predicament. The Bible tells us the reason why we're always doing this. The reason why we're always looking to these lesser things to, 
to cling on to, whether it's our, our social status or our money or the relationships we're in. It, it explains why we're always trying to prove ourselves through these things, to prove that we're good or that we're strong or that we're powerful or that we're desirable. The reason we're doing that is because we aren't any of those things, and we know it. We are inadequate. Our lives are insufficient. They are lacking. They are incomplete. We are not as good as we want to be. We're not as beautiful or as driven. We are not as good as we should be. We're sometimes self-centered. We're sometimes lazy. We're often, if we're being honest, hypocrites. We are what the Bible calls unrighteous. We are sinners. And we are looking for something to hide that. We're looking for something to cover the flaws, to make us feel secure, to make us somebody. And nothing ever does. But the message of the gospel is totally different. In the gospel, Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed. Did you see that word? Revealed? Let me explain that a little bit. Uh, the gospel has kind of two main moves. I, I hear some people talk about it as the bad news and the good news. Uh, Jack Miller, an old pastor from Philadelphia, he used to say it this way. He said, the first move of the gospel is to say, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you think. In other words, the Bible, the gospel, it tells us, first of all, that you are unrighteous, that you are unholy, that you are sinful and separated from God, and there is nothing that you can do for, about it. That left to yourself, your fate is not simply to feel bad about yourself or to feel fragile, but actually to be separated and to be unprotected, to be away from God for all eternity. You're in a worse state than you realize but he says, cheer up, because the second part is this, cheer up, you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. The good news, the good news is that in that weakness, Jesus Christ, the perfect, holy, sinless, complete Son of God has come to make you whole. He came and he, on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin. And he has given us his righteousness as our own. He has clothed us in himself. When Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed, he is saying that in the gospel, we have been freely given the very thing we've always been striving for. We have been declared righteous and good and complete. We have been given a new identity as heirs of the kingdom of God. We are his beloved children. Martin Luther, when he was describing that, he called it an alien righteousness. He said the Christian's righteousness is an alien righteousness, meaning it, came, it comes from somewhere else. It comes from somewhere outside of you. It's not something that you can work up. It's given to us, right? Like 
Like that suit that Tony Stark gave to, to Spider-Man. It's given to us. We are clothed in Christ. We are hidden in Him. And because God Himself has given it, because He's given it to us by faith alone, it can never be taken away. And so, that means something. If our righteousness is outside of us, if it's given to us by faith, that means that the gospel is not just words. The gospel is power. You know, insert flame emojis here. <laughs> the gospel is fire. The gospel is not just an idea. It is the power of God. And that means no matter what your circumstances might be, no matter how big of a success you look like to the world or how big of a failure, if you have been given the righteousness of Christ, it is yours. So when things go wrong in your life, you can be upset, but you never despair because your circumstances don't define you. Christ does. Those things are not your righteousness. Christ is. Folks, only the gospel is strong enough to be the center of our lives. Hebrews says that the gospel is a sure and steadfast anchor to our souls. And that's why Paul is so anxious to preach it to the Romans. And that's why we should be anxious to preach it here. That's why we need to keep bringing this up and make this the center of everything that we do at the church because we don't ever get past the gospel. The gospel is not simply the necessary information you need to learn to become a Christian, but it is the power that works in the life of a Christian. It's the power that drives us. It is the power that anchors us every single day of the week. The gospel is power, and it anchors us. Secondly, we see in this text that the gospel is also a proclamation that we can't abandon. Now, this part might sound a little bit obvious. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it seems apparent, uh, but I need to say it. The gospel must be proclaimed with words. The gospel must be proclaimed with words. Okay? Maybe you've uh, heard that before. Maybe you've heard that, that phrase, uh, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Well, Paul tells us it's always necessary to use words. The last time, uh, the last few weeks, one of the things I've been doing is looking for a church building. <laughs> I have spent a lot of time on the streets uh, knocking on doors, meeting with different pastors, checking out different churches. Uh, we went to 30 different places over the past year. And thankfully, one of them said, okay. <laughs> but 29 of them said no. And I want to tell you, the state in some of those churches was really kind of shocking. I cannot tell you how many congregations I went into that had five people, 10 people, that those people didn't live anywhere close to the church, but they would just come in and they would open the doors on Sunday morning, and that they didn't know anyone who lived within 20 miles of the building. I can't tell you how many churches I saw that had no people, 
that were empty buildings with holes in the roof and water pouring through. I went to churches that had long since stopped preaching anything. And they had become social service organizations only. Open Monday through Saturday, closed on Sunday. But what was shocking about it was without exception, every single one of those churches at one time had been a vibrant gospel-preaching church. And so the question is, what's going to keep our church from being just like that? What is going to prevent us from ending up there a generation from now? And maybe on a similar note, what is going to keep our lives from looking like those churches? From looking nice on the outside, but on the inside being empty and hollow? Going through the motions, dead religion? Well, Paul is really direct about this. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The gospel is the power of God. And it has to be our center. It has to be our anchor. But the power, that power to be someone's center is unleashed through proclamation. Paul says it is always necessary to use words when we preach the gospel. There can be no hearers without heralds. Your neighbor, your classmate, those people that you serve in the soup kitchen, your boss, your family, your coworkers, your children, they are not going to learn the gospel by osmosis. This is why we're here. This is why the church exists. We are here to preach the good news, to make disciples, and to baptize them into a community of faith where they can meet Jesus. And that's not easy. Don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not acting like this is easy. I understand that, that preaching these words, that proclaiming these words is uncomfortable. In Boston in 2017, this is hard. But it's always been hard. It's never been easy. Remember what Paul said? The passage we just read, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he say that? Why would anybody say they're not ashamed of something unless they were tempted to be ashamed of it? Right? Nobody says, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm 6'5 and have a six-pack, right? Because that's, that's what we all want, at least the guys, right? That's, we'd like to be 6'5 with a six-pack. Of course, you're not going to be ashamed of that. That's the standard. You're going to be proud of that. No, we say, I'm not ashamed of the fact that when I shave my beard, I look like I'm 19 years old, right? <laughs> We say, we say we're not ashamed because we want to remind ourselves that the world's standards of beauty are destructive sometimes. You say you're not ashamed about things you shouldn't be ashamed of, but the world tells you you should be. Well, Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel. But the world says you, sh 
You should be ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel is the opposite of all the world holds dear. The gospel proclaims the opposite of all our world holds dear. And so, of course, the world will tell us to be ashamed. The gospel says that the way to power is through sacrifice, not triumph. That the way to freedom is through surrender to God, not independence. That the way to joy is through carrying your cross and suffering with Jesus, not through following your passions and desires. That message is foolishness to the world. Paul says it is the aroma of death to the world. And that's why so many of those churches I visited had left it behind. A lot of those churches were still doing nice things. They were still nice people doing good stuff in the neighborhood. They were doing the same types of things that we do. Seeking justice, caring for the poor, trying to organize ESL classes. But at some point, these people had lost their power. At some point, these churches had stopped preaching the good news. Because it's hard to look like a fool to the world. And it's easier to just be nice people doing nice things. It's hard to smell like death. But you know what else Paul says about the gospel? He says that it is the aroma of life to those who are being saved. Like we just read, he says it is the power of God himself to those who he intends to save. Just think about that for a moment. The news that you have, the news that we have here, is wonderful news to somebody. It will mean life for someone that you love. It's wonderful news that we have, that we are justified by grace through faith, that we, we don't have to work for it. That you can't save yourself. That dead religion doesn't save you. That hard work doesn't save you. God saves you. And that means no matter how far off you are, no matter how unholy you feel, He will save you if you belong to Him. There is no one too far from His grasp. God is able to redeem His people. What would it be like if we believed Paul's words, what would it be like this year as we head into this new building down the street? What would it be like if we really believed that the gospel was the power of God? If we really believed that people will not believe unless they are told? Think about it this way. I mean, what if... You had the cure for cancer. What if you had discovered it? And you knew for a fact that it worked, that it was the cure, but nobody believed you. What would it take for you to stop sharing the cure? What would it take for you to be ashamed of the fact that you had a cure for cancer? 
If you knew you had the cure, you would keep telling people about it. You say, I have the cure for cancer. I mean, even if it was some incredibly embarrassing cure, right? Even if the only cure for cancer was to, to wear a clown nose and a pink tutu around town, you would still tell people, this is the cure for cancer because it's the cure. You wouldn't be ashamed if you knew that it would give them life. Well, the cure that Christ has given us is much better than a cure for cancer. It is a cure for eternal death. We, as a church, are called to be more than nice people who do good things. We are called to be ambassadors of God's kingdom. We are called to be people who announce the good news that King Jesus has come and he has set the captives free. There is nothing more wonderful than that. There is no greater message than that. Paul says when, when the person who is waiting for that good news to be proclaimed, when he finally hears it, when she finally hears it, that it is like a watchman sitting on a tower waiting for news from the battlefield staring off at the horizon, hoping. And then they see dust start to stir. And then they see the runner come over the crest of the hill. And then they see the feet of this man running towards them with a smile on his face, with the good news that the victory has been won. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because the gospel is the only thing powerful enough to anchor our lives, the church always must proclaim it with words. But what's going to make us do that? Let's be honest. What, what's actually going to make us a gospel-centered church? What will keep us alive in preaching this good news? The answer can't be, well, because the pastor told me to. And if I don't do it, I'll feel bad. Maybe you feel bad right now. <laughs> maybe you think I, need, I have some people I need to talk to. And maybe that's true. But guilt cannot be your only motivator. Guilt might get you out the door. Guilt might get you into an awkward conversation this weekend. <laughs> but it won't get you much further than that. Eventually, you'll go back to being quiet. Now, the only thing that will change our hearts is if we know the power that Paul's talking about ourselves. If we wrestle with our sin... If we fight with the devil, if you find yourself like I found myself a few weeks ago, wandering down the street, so off base, wondering how I had, had gotten this far away from Christ as my center. If you've come to that moment and you think, God, have you had enough with me? Have you left me behind yet? And you find that he hasn't. That he has not left you that he will never leave you, that his righteousness still has been accounted to you. When you experience in your soul the goodness of God's grace, 
the freedom of Christ's deliverance. When you taste and see the truth of Jesus, only then will you tell others about it. Only then will you go out even when people call you a fool. Only when, when you realize that, that whatever shame, whatever embarrassment there might be in preaching the gospel, Christ has done much more to preach the gospel to you. That he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was spat upon, he was condemned, and he was killed to set you free. Only when you know that Savior, when, when His Spirit strikes you in the heart, will you be able to proclaim the gospel with power and truth. Not because you have to. Not because some preacher told you to. But because you have been set free and you're going to take as many captives to freedom with you as you possibly can. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that you have given us a power at the center of this church that is more than any of us can contain, that is dependent upon your working, not ours. Lord, we thank you that, that you have come to save us. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just keep that good news to ourselves. Lord, I pray that that good news would not become dead and lifeless. I pray that we would not care so much about the world that we leave behind the only power we have. Lord, would you send us out? Father, as we are headed into a new stage, a new location, when we're headed into a new year, Lord, give us your Spirit. Give us your gospel. Give us the power. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.